Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Badass Fest 2022 edition. Uh, Jim and I are here to talk about another great uh, 80s, 90s action film. This is one of the 90s variety. It's Die Hard with the Vengeance out in 1995. Um, it was directed once again by John McTiernan based on a screenplay by Jonathan Hensley based on the screen. This the script Simon Says also by Hensley. Boy, that is an abbreviated version of the story of how this thing got written, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Hmm. It stars, once again, Bruce Willey returning to reprise his role as John McClane. Jeremy Irons, who you've recently seen as Ozymandias in the Watchmen series on HBO. Samuel L. Jackson. No one needs an introduction to Samuel motherfucking Jackson. Michael Christopher, who lately was the CEO of E Corp for Mr. Robot. And Green, Graham, uh, Graham, Graham Green from the Twilight Saga, The Green Mile, Dances with Wolves, etc. Uh, Jim, this is the third Die Hard movie, the second sequel. What do you think of Die Hard with a Vengeance? Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance is pretty good. It's pretty good. I, th- I think it's... <sighs> Die Hard with a Vengeance has a great premise and a great beginning that I'm not sure it totally lives up to. Uh, I, I think, I, I don't know. Cause I was, I was, I finished watching this movie and I'm like, that felt a little bit long, a yes. little bit saggy in places. Mm-hmm. And I was like, surely this is 30 minutes longer than any, any other diehard to date. And I went and I looked and it's actually only the second longest uh, diehard two, I think is, is even longer than this by, you know, seriously, Die Hard 1 is like four minutes shorter. So it's not significantly longer than either of the others. In fact, it's shorter than one. So I don't know why this feels like it drags in places, but it definitely does. Um, That said, I think Sam Jackson, I mean, he's obviously incredible. And this is back in his heyday when he was like not quite a meme and he was just doing his thing. And it's like straight off the back of Pulp Fiction, right? That was a year earlier. Uh, and their chemistry together is great. And he he alone makes this movie worth watching, even if Bruce Willis wasn't in it. But having both of them together in this makes it a ton of fun. Gosh, I wonder if I watched a director's edition of this because the cut that I saw was two hours and 35 minutes with credits on Apple TV. Two and I. And I remember thinking distinctly, I don't remember this thing feeling so damn flabby around its middle section. Um, Because like you said, the first hour of this film is tight, 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 Uh Tuco tight. Um, And then I think the film ends fairly well. Um, Although I've got some some notes on that, too. Um, Yeah, like I... I, I, I think this film is easily the best Die Hard sequel, but the problem with all the Die Hard sequels is they all have kind of a fatal flaw or at least a, a significant flaw. And I think this movie is, as we'll discuss, I'm sure, in the writing process, this movie is like three or four different action films, Frankenstitched mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And then since those plots were largely thrillers and not necessarily action films, they then added action set pieces to it. Huh. And I feel like there is at least one big action set piece that needs to be cut from this film. I would suggest yeah. all the tunnel stuff. 
all the tunnel stuff. Oh man, all the tunnel stuff. One of the best shots in the movie, which is uh, Bruce uh, Willis shooting up, getting shooting blown through a man on feet. <laughs> 600 feet up yeah, a pipe. Yeah. Okay. You're saying best. I'm saying, because, <laughs> like, to me, what makes Die Hard is a normal dude who just barely by the seat of his pants survives this stuff. Like, uh, sure. yeah. uh, Bruce Willis is playing John McClane much more, more closer to, like, how Harrison Ford plays. You know Han Solo and Indi- Indiana Jones this is a guy who's just like kind of surprised he's surviving this stuff himself. Yeah. But he's he he's he, what's he going to do? Let the uh, let the Nazis have the cup of Christ? Fuck no! So he keeps fighting. This movie gets into like atomic explosion fridge survival territory. <laughs> Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. Just like Indiana Jones can push that concept too far. I felt like him getting blown out of the tunnel was like, damn, yeah, you you cut everything where the trucks get, go into the tunnel, and then you cut right after he gets blown out of the thing, and the movie is, is the better for it. Because, I, I, yeah, like that stuff is starting to be, you know, I don't know. Because, like, the thing is the – let, let, let's, let's, let's zoom out at a meta level and talk about John McClane's place – um, or I guess Bruce Willis's place in the badass because he is a okay. flagrant, flagrant contrary example of the first C, the champion. Bruce yeah. Willis is not a physical champion. He's not necessarily an opposing figure when he's uh, opposing figure, imposing figure when he's walking down the street, especially in the first Die Hard. Um, mm-hmm. So can we talk about that, 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 that second seed, the charisma, because I think this is the first, um, this is the first badass movie we've ever considered with a star that kind of epitomizes that. Yeah, no, he does. Um, it's kind of why there's a third C on our badass rankings in the first place. Um, because he is just so much fun to watch. Um, and, and I don't know if he comes up with these lines, during the movies or Bruce Willis, or if they were actually scripted or workshopped with the director or what, but every time he calls this guy a fuckhead, every time, like every time he opens his mouth, it's just delightful. Right. And he's not, he's not really charming the people on screen because they all think he's an asshole. He's charming the viewer. And I find that just irresistibly fun. Yeah, in real life, when people have us bent over a barrel and they have us in a compromising position and we're afraid for our loved ones and the cities we lived in, we have to like behave with a certain amount of composure <laughs> because we don't want to make the situation worse. Right, right. Bruce Willis gets to live in the world where a guy's like, I need you to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to avoid a terrorist plot. And the whole time he's got middle fingers and fuck yous and mm-hmm. and uh, shoving things up your ass sideways for this guy. He says all the things we wish we could say in those situations. Yeah. Um, um, you, you know, Hans Gruber's taking a tower hostage. Fuck, the, you know, f- fuck you. Mm-hmm. Uh, some ex-military guys trying to take over airport. Fuck him. Uh, Hans Gruber's brother's back for, for, for more. Fuck this guy in particular. Like th- that, that yeah. charisma, that not giving a fuck that um, despite not being the biggest, toughest guy in the room going ahead and kicking ass anyway, that is the second C of charisma. And I think Bruce Willis, and honestly, Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson out, yes. out second sees Bruce Willis in his own damn film. Some Sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I love it's the extreme confidence, right? Because there are moments in every diehard movie where 
he gets a hold of a radio and he gets the bad guy on the horn and he's like, look, you fuckhead, I'm coming for you. Right. Like, yeah, I've taken yeah. your trucks. Here, here's exactly where I am. Here's exactly uh-huh. the progress I've made on tracking your ass down. And it's not going to stop me if you know where I am and what I'm doing. I'm coming for yeah. you. I love it. Yeah, it's it's great. And that's why. And it's, it's not just Bruce Willis, that, because that's the thing. It's like we had uh, a whole action movie you know uh hero kind of formula trying to break this down we realize that a lot of the you know action movies that we do love like the diehards like a lot of clint eastward's work don't really follow the standard kind of like just a massive mountain of meat with a gun uh you know and, and and like arnold's kind of like the antithesis of that because while he's charismatic it's in a different way than like bruce willis is you know oh yeah um, i mean it, talk about like scripted i i feel like everything arnold says is has been scripted to the nth degree right a hundred percent like none of this feels like it's coming from arnold it's all coming from the script so bruce willis yeah and and arnold are diametrically opposed in that but still yes managed to pull off a 1c because of what because of either the writing or who they are and also, like, I think it's fair to say that Arnold, if you were just to judge him by, like, his early roles, like Commando, like uh, uh, Terminator, like, um, shit, what's the, uh, oh, Conan, where he's, like, monosyllabic, he barely has lines, like, he, he would almost be, if those three roles are all you had to judge him by, you'd almost have to give him a zero of charisma. <laughs> He's uh-huh. has a second act where he's much more comfortable with English, much more comfortable acting, and they start leaning into these like weird one-liners and quips and yes. stuff. And him, I mean, and also I think Arnold just is a like, likable guy. If you ever see him mm-hmm. like interviewed or whatever, it's like he's got this immense amount of charm, and that eventually burns through the roles. Yeah. But yeah, if like you closed the book on Arnold's career in 1985, he'd probably be a 2C badass because he'd be a 1C champion. He'd have the iconic characters even that early in his career, but the charisma would be gone. Yeah. Bruce is the opposite, you know, like even at his most jacked, he's lucky to pull up a quarter C, 0.5 C. And and, and like that's the other thing in in, um, successively in later diehards they keep on eroding his everyman quality because it's like you know he's they just lean into fa- the fact that he's a fuck up and his ex-wife hates him and his kids kind of hate him and he gets mm-hmm. balder and buffer and further away from the john mcclain ideal for my money i think uh-huh. you know every diehard past this is kind of garbage yeah i don't hate live free and diehard uh the fourth one which yeah was like the the return to diehard uh I don't hate that. It's it's over the top, though, in just like a way that a lot of these movies are not. But, you know, the first Die Hard is a damn near perfect film. Uh-huh. Uh, damn near perfect action film. And they just keep on, I feel like, straying further from the light. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I just the, the this this is a fun one because it allows us to talk about um you know the other side of the badass coin the 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 the, the badasses they're not gifted physically they're not mm-hmm. imposing towers of of meat uh, but nevertheless they manage to kick ass and intimidate people here's what's new and premium content for our club members no lunch this week as i'll be traveling on vacation but get ready for next week when we have the rare elusive dare i say premium lunch with talitha and aaron 
And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.ballmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. Um, man, like I said, Samuel L. Jackson uh, out McLean's McLean. I think the best line of this whole film is where he says, well, you can, you can, you can shove your well-laid plans up your well-laid ass. Uh-huh. Uh, Pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I dig it. They also like, um, Samuel L. Jackson's Zeus is a very selfless and moral character in this film too. Yes. Um, cause they established that he has a lot of, um, uh, and they don't deal with it in the film, but I'm certain it's well-earned hostility to, to white people and whiteness in America. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they give us enough, like in the beginning, like he's trying to raise his nephews a particular way. And the last thing he wants to do is try to save the life of a cop, a white cop in Harlem. But, he does so and I, he says it, it's to save his community because if the you know if, the, if a cop gets killed in Harlem it's going to be bad news for weeks and months to come but I think it's just because he's a good guy like he can't stand to see uh, a, an innocent person be killed or hurt um, he actually does care about the city and he doesn't want to see these madmen destroy it he has personal stakes later in the movie when it turns out you know his nephews are the ones that are being threatened by this uh, uh, by Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. um, I really really liked his character and like you said this is um, this is before Samuel L. Jackson became a mega super uber duper star this was like hot off the heel of his, of his pulp uh, pulp fiction performance um, and I, I yeah. guess largely on the basis of that he got this role because Bruce Bruce Willis recommended it they were trying to get Lawrence Fishburne roped oh. into it Oh, hmm. Who also, that's, that's by the interesting movie. That is an interesting movie. Did you know that Lawrence Fishburne was the first uh, choice to play uh, Jules in Pulp Fiction? No, really? Yeah. I, I, he, he, according to reports, he turned that down because his agent says, look, if you want, he's wanting to become more of a leading man. He goes, if you just keep taking complimentary guest starring parts, you're never going to get that. So he started turning down anything that did not focus himself as a star. And man, man it seems like that's a big mistake. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Cause early Larry fish, like before the matrix, sure. he mm-hmm. definitely has like a, uh, a, a Sam Jackson esque quality to him. You know, it's, sure. it's not quite the pattern that Sam Jackson has, but he he's got a lot of character um because I, I i don't know somewhere along the way larry larry fish just like changed who he was uh, as far mm-hmm. as like what movies he was taking and what characters he was playing and went yeah. from playing like a lot of smack talking dudes to playing like ultra serious people cerebral zen masters yeah essentially morpheus right and Sam Jackson kind of never did. <laughs> Sam Jackson, no, just, Sam like, Jackson just into continued. what he could do the best, and man, it was worth it. Yeah, 
Um, I don't know. I would is, like to see that cut though with with Lawrence Fishburne in the role. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of fascinating kind of what ifs in this movie, um, and I guess that's the thing is like Larry Fish when he he initially turned down the role, but then was kind of uh, uh, I I guess hot to get it back after I forget exactly what the reason, and they'd already given the the role to Samuel L. Jackson, and there's a lawsuit like he accused them of reneging mm. on a verbal commitment and i guess there's a settlement and all that but it is an interesting it's a very interesting pop culture question of what if larry fish was jules and zeus back to back 94 95 are we like do we have snakes on a plane with larry fish is samuel l jackson the zen master and 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 the matrix yep (laughs) it's 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 a really really interesting thing to to ponder yeah uh do we um yeah, so like I said, I, we, we talked about this this film's shortcomings. Um, the things it's strong at is, again, the first the first hour of this movie is threatens to be a perfect diehard film, and some mm-hmm. of the really great practical stunt work that they do, yeah, in terms of like car chases, in terms of like frantic runs through subway tunnels and sub and 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 car trains, in terms of just really uncomfortable social situations that mm-hmm. Jeremy Irons has put uh, John McClane into. I think that stuff is top notch. In particular, the some of the the car chases they do through busy yeah. New York streets are unbelievable, unbelievable. I would have loved to be the person, the stunt driver who got to drive through Central Park. Dude. That looked like so much fun. How the hell do they get the permission to shut down huge sections of Wall Street, Brooklyn, Central Park, and just, like, they're tearing shit up. They're, like, doing yard jobs through Central Park. They're vaulting over boulders. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know how often they shut down Central Park for this kind of stuff. I know they do, you sure, know, you can. but like this must have been like a big, big production. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're just really good at shutting off small sections of the park and and making it look because the other thing is that it looks fully populated. There's uh-huh. the joggers, the there's the buskers, there's the families feeding ducks. There's like and, and John McClane's plowing through all of them. It's wild. Uh-huh. Are you trying to hit these people? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe uh, the mime. I, I think that the opening of this movie is incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. The both the premise here, like what what they're forcing Bruce Willis to do, and the way that they bring you in on that. Um, the, a the way that they bring you in on John McClane. Um, I think like having him start the thing with a hangover and he's been, you know, suspended from his yeah, job. What's his status? Yeah, right. We don't find out till later, but you know, he hasn't talked to his wife in a year. Um, there's, I mean, that is John McClane, the dude in the back of that paddy wagon or whatever. Um, and then they don't even, they don't waste any time in this movie, right? There's, there's an explosion he's brought in, uh, he gets out of the truck, puts on the sandwich board and he's walking down the street and you're like, what does this thing say? Like that, the shot of the old woman, um, walking past him on the corner. Yeah. And, and a really well dressed him. Uh-huh. And you're like, what? What does it say on this board? And then, you know, we go off for a second to Sam Jackson and out the window, he sees him and we see what it says. And it's like, oh, my God, this is this is terrible. <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a brilliant opening to this movie. 
and it does stay it does stay very good for a while um i you know i in retrospect when i'm thinking about okay why does this movie feel overly long it might be because a there are too many twists and you yes. you alluded to maybe why that might be but also here's the one flaw of this movie i think it's a mistake to send it I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. It depends on the motivation of the main character. If if it was never like a revenge story, which I I don't think it was, I think this makes more sense. But is it a mistake to send Bruce Willis into a situation where he could be he could be killed and you don't have any control over it? If your plan is to distract the police using Bruce Willis as like this this yeah cover. I I, I had this mistake. I, I, I had a similar thought. Control over all of that, right? Yeah, I, I had similar thoughts to you because you know this is we we coincidentally watched this film a couple months ago as a uh, one of our watch party things, and I remember because I, I I like Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think it's I've I've always thought it's like the second best uh, Die Hard sequel, or I guess the best Die Hard sequel. <laughs> but it was we're watching it, and this is always a problem with the live watches. You start talking to chat, and you're making jokes, and like I was halfway to film, like I. F- fully lost i don't remember why some of this stuff is happening and i don't know why john mcclain is leaping to you know the the school plot uh, bombing plot being fake and a couple of twists especially at the end like holy hell how are we at this canadian truck stop and i'm like well i it's you know when we sat down to watch it i'm like well this will probably make a lot of sense and i and I'm, i'm sitting down and yeah, I agree that some of these decisions like, yeah, what if he was murdered four minutes into that and the cops are 10 blocks away and they can't stop it and Samuel L. Jackson wasn't there? Yeah. Do the I cops mean, the still only reason he's not there is some dude intervenes, right? But I think if you pl- I, like so either is this a plot hole or is it more cynical and sinister than you think where Jeremy Irons is like, well, if they kill a white cop in Harlem, every fucking cop in in, in New York City is going to descend upon their and with riot gear and they're going to be completely consumed with finding the people that slay, slayed their their officer and maybe. he wins anyway maybe but I, it seems like there's quite a delay between you know they might be able to like clean up that mess and get back to wall street in time to stop them i i don't know and there's also like um i i guess that's the other thing is like it feels like you're supposed to understand that john mcclain is the it's it's not his main goal it's just something that he's it's like taken upon in passing it's like well i'm here anyway i'm going to go ahead and fuck with john mcclain if john mcclain dies yeah. and whether the cops right he still has the school plot yeah that's yeah, going right. to so it's like he's got like this nested layer of things but but i i think you're right like if you look at all the different things in isolation um because i still don't know how he actually got the gold out of the city like at what point where did the gold go it was supposed it's not on the ship that was those are those trucks were loaded with scrap metal like they do a lot of sleight of hand where the fake plot you follow to the bitter end but mm-hmm. the actual plot they kind of get away with not having to explain he just got gets all this shit across the border no fucking problems uh up in his warehouse and they're all celebrating and i i thought there was there's a lot of these things where the different sections of this film not don't necessarily connect to each other. Yeah, they connect better than I remember them connecting, but you're right. The one that doesn't quite connect is how they tricked everybody by swapping the gold out. Because their own dude 
um, their their second in command or whatever didn't even know about that, right? Right. Yeah, he, he was he was ideologically pure. He thought that they were actually trying to strike a blow against imperialism and the greedy monetary system. And no, uh, uh, Jeremy Irons is just lying Which, in his pockets. I don't know. I mean, it also strikes a blow. It's not like there's no blows stricken. That's true. You can, you can still keep the gold. I, I love and the scene a, where Sam Jackson gets his hand on his hands on one of those bars, and uh-huh. he's just like, "Are you fucking?" <laughs> John McClane tells him to put it down, and and let's go. And he's like, "No, I know there's no way there there would be no force on earth that could pry that gold bar out of my hand. I would not have put it in the back seat. Are you kidding me? It would be. Are in you my talking pocket. yourself personally? Uh huh. I thought the same way, and I think I've changed as a person in the 20 years since I've seen this, because I, I, I think I used to think like, yeah, yeah, you probably shouldn't steal gold from And now I'm like, fuck no, steal. You, you're going to recover $200 billion for these goddamn banks and Wall Street dudes and like the different foreign governments. Like, keep a brick and for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Speed. Yes. And if they and if they want to arrest me for that, then fuck off. I'll I'll bill them for all the trauma. And yeah, no, I I was totally on on Team Sam and I was actually. Yeah, because I thought maybe that um, he got to keep it, but he left it in the uh, the 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 Mercedes guys. Yeah, it went right back to the rich people. A fucking Mercedes guy gets it. I know. Yeah. Disgusting. Man, um, what do you think about the providential dueling presidential uh name drops here you had uh, both hillary clinton and donald trump name oh, check right. within 20 minutes of each other in this film wow a That's black a lady ex- exclaiming as if it would be a positive thing like yeah and i'll be marrying donald trump right and right. then uh yeah john mcclain uh bitching about hillary clinton thought that was interesting mm-hmm. i mean donald trump was just a rich guy in yeah. in the era of this film, just a famous famous rich dude from New York. So of course everyone in the city would know him. Yeah. Um. All right. Do we have any uh, like kind of like non spoilery kind of stuff to talk about, or should because I imagine there's you know this is a uh, almost a thirty year old movie. There's probably a lot of people that haven't seen it. Um. Should well, we kind of give the rundown of what the movie's about and then get into the spoiler stuff? Or I want to suggest one other cut that would take like five minutes out of this movie that could have been good. Uh-huh. I feel like John McClane was sent on too many tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they had cut the one, the second one, not the one with the sandwich board, but the one where he just goes to the payphone. Oh, like, and there's, there's the verbal, the, 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 how and, many guys took how many wives bomb. to how many? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would have cut down on the runtime of this movie and a little bit of the flab. Yeah, but then I just I just hate the I just hate the water tunnel stuff. Maybe you cut them both because there are there's still like even if you did that, there's like five different like Batman Riddler caliber puzzles that you could you, uh-huh. you could easily lean on. And I think it worked as fine. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to because because I have tried to keep a few spoilers to myself. Uh, so if you're um, have avoided the, the diehard sequels or you're one of them young kids that uh, don't know. Uh, 1995's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, we find this is a, a John McClane after his previous two adventures. He's estranged from his wife. He's off the force. He's suspended. He's 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 living a drunken lout type of lifestyle. And some mad bomber 
in New York City is singling out him. He needs this guy to do a series of tasks for him across the city where he's going to start blowing shit up. He's blowing up. uh, He opens up by blowing up a department store. He threatens the uh, Federal Reserve. He he threatens the uh, New York City public school system. Um, Just causing a big old mess. And um, on his first task, he is sent uh, to Harlem with a racially offensive message scribbled on on a sandwich board that he's carrying. And Samuel L. Jackson, a shop owner nearby, takes pity on the man who he assumes is insane and tries to intervene when the whole neighborhood tries to kill him. And they get embroiled in this plot that is um, it looks like a politically uh, motivated bombing of New York City. And there's lots of twists and turns. And John McClane has to figure out why this is happening, what the villain's actual identity identity and motive is. And can he do it before uh, hundreds and perhaps thousands of children die in New York City? That's the stakes. Um, Okay, now get out of here if you don't want spoilers. I think a particularly brilliant touch of this movie is the idea that Hans Gruber's brother is back for revenge. Okay. And I think Jeremy Irons, even though I don't think his German accent is particularly good, (laughs) it's highly entertaining. And Jeremy Irons is clearly enjoying being this diabolical, amoral, East German asshole. I, I love everything about Jeremy Irons' performance, and I think it compares favorably in the kind of like scenery chewing style that uh, Hans Gruber established in the first one. Yeah, no, I agree. He's an excellent choice for this role. Um, You say his German accent isn't very good. I would also say his American accent is not very good, Uh, especially his Southern American accent. I don't know what he's trying to pull off there. If that's Texas or what, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very bombastic. Um, it's yeah, it's uh, it's wild. I I thought that um, in the first movie, Alan Rickman did a passably good American accent. Yes, you know, I, for a guy that's under stress and strain. Mm-hmm, as I recall, but I I it's been a little while, especially since like the 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 whole there's there's this um, explanation for why these Eastern Bloc Germans are so good at speaking English and they mention that they're from a like East German counterintelligence force that was specifically trained to have perfect flawless English accents so that they could do infiltration work and stuff like that. That's a pretty interesting idea. But Jeremy Irons this yeah. this uh, you know Texas oil man thing he's trying to do yeah, it would not and- fool me. <laughs> And the suit he's wearing, he's wearing this like skinny suit, which fair. He's a, he's a skinny, lanky guy. Mm. He's got his suit pants tucked into his combat boots. No. And he's wearing this long, skinny tie that's an apple hanging on a string. It's yeah, a bizarre. Weird. It's it all adds up to like, I can't believe that the, <laughs> the police are just like, oh, yeah, this guy. He's from city. He's he's here. In, but yeah, like it, 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 it stretched my credibility, my credulity. For sure, for sure. Uh, but other than that, yes, he's excellent. I, I find him appropriately menacing um, throughout this movie. I think I think he's great at the like. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what to call it. Every time he gets on the phone with McLean, he he's great at like keeping it all business 
in a way that tells you he's in control. Do you know why they brought up the stuttering plot? Well, it's a fake out. It's a fake out for what? To, 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 to make them believe that he is on this revenge mission against John McClane personally. When in fact, he doesn't care all that much about it. Is that true? Because I actually got the distinct opinion that that might be secretly the thing he cares most about. Uh, not uh, Nothing I saw in the movie says, like, you know, when it all comes out in the wash that he actually cared mm. about that at all. His brother I thought was that asshole. was... He, yeah. he does that, you know, fake stutter at the end, which uh, with the gullible stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, all that to me is just fake. The movie care. wants us to think that, yeah, because he at the end is like based on the good, 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 gullibility of the New York City's finest. But I don't know, like what, what? So what's, so what was the stakes there? If the, if their criminal profiler is like, well, he doesn't have a stutter, so clearly he's more interested in revenge than perhaps stealing any large amount of gold. Like the cops have no idea what his true motivations for doing anything are throughout the entire film. So like, mm-hmm. I felt like that was played as a moment of triumph. Like, ah, I got those suckers. But like, I, yeah, if he hadn't stuttered, what's the criminal profiler say? I, yeah, I thought that was, there's there's a couple things I felt like didn't connect really well. And that was one of them. Gotcha. Yeah. There's still plenty to go on to say that this guy uh, wants revenge. Yeah. They had a whole bunch of fancy like this, uh, the binary liquid. I thought that was a pretty interesting, um, way to tell the story because it gives a visual an interesting visual thing usually bombs like have a timer and then they go off and they explode this has got this like gray area where the timer's gone off and you see the liquid mixing and eventually it's going to become a highly but you've got some i thought that was a really visually interesting way to tell like a slow moving explosion and still let the hero have some kind of agency over the bomb after it's already quote unquote got off or gone off i thought that was uh a really nice twist that added a lot of suspense to some of these bomb scenes. Yeah. And, and visually how these bombs just keep getting bigger and bigger. Right. And it just results in like two larger vials to, to where you're on the boat and they're like bigger than a human being. Right. Yeah. They're just these enormous vials. It's like a micro brew operation at uh-huh. like a brew, you know, uh, a, a small brewery. The, oh, the <laughs> thing, the most ridiculous part of this movie, in my opinion, the most insane thing mm-hmm. is the explanation of that bomb, uh, the demonstration scene to let us <laughs> as an audience yeah. uh, member know how dangerous these bombs are. Because you've got the Charlie, who is like their bomb defusal expert, their bomb expert, yep. and he brings a suitcase bomb into the the chief of police the captain Mm -hmm. his office along Mm -hmm. with all his other like his his deputies and his assistants and like this is the active precinct he just brings a fucking bomb in and then actively mixes it and throws it into just like the the precinct and blows up a chair how is he not fired how, how Charlie is like, a total asshole. Yeah, this is some reckless ass behavior. And he's punching insane. he's pu- and, and the way he mixes is he's he's punching holes into the containers that can hold the lid. But at the end of this movie he's revealed to be a fool because, you know, he's betting his life on he's the one that can stop this bomb from exploding. No, no he can't. Like if this was this was an actual bomb instead of uh, <laughs> a pancake topping, you'd been dead, Charlie, you dumb asshole. I, I, 
yes, but I think Charlie is also a hero. Char- Charlie is a hero for the decisions he makes, How? maybe not for his ability or skill. Because he makes the decision know. to stay in that school when he knows that there are still kids in there and try and defuse the bomb, even if it means his death. That's heroic. Yeah, I guess it is. I just think it's one of those things where it's like if, if, I, if I, with no bomb training, had been like, I'm going to stay and try to defuse this bomb. Yeah, you're an idiot, but you're still a hero. Am I? Because like, I feel like that Charlie is in that phase where he's just snipping wires. He's maybe explodes early. Maybe yeah, it kills him. Right. And yeah, he's he's. But I, I want to springboard off, off of this because the previous two diehards are one of their hallmarks is the absolute dysfunction of their police departments and the yes. fed and the cooperation between uh, different city departments and and federal and and state and local authorities. It's a goddamn shit show. Mm-hmm. This movie, the NYPD, is played as fairly competent, uh, f- fairly you know pragmatic. Uh, when the FBI show up, you think it's going to be a shit show. It turns out one of the FBI agents has kids at one of these schools and they're all like, well, what do you need from us? There's going to be no jurisdictional fight. And I'm like, why the turnaround? I think it's because these previous movies, John McClane was the NYPD police officer in the head up its ass LAPD police department on the West coast. And yeah. God knows what they think about the Philly, police department. But like, I think in the diehard universe, NYPD is just a shining paragon of police work. Seems like it. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, if John, if John McClane, one of them, uh, on his best day, then they're all John McClane's, I guess. Kinda. Yeah. And they still I think get that's the theory. bamboozled. You know, it's not like they they're clairvoyant or anything, but yeah, they, they seem pretty competent at their job. And I like how is it the chief of police? I don't, I don't know who this guy is. The captain. Yeah. Of his precinct. Sure. Yeah. The, the captain. I like how every time John McClane calls him up and says like, hey, I've got new information. The guy like scrambles to try and help him out. Right. It's, it's yes. not like <laughs> die hard to where you know uh frank what's his name the guy from it's nypd blue guy right oh yeah 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 uh that guy's telling him to stick it up his ass every other scene right right Uh, yeah i know how you do it up in new york pal but here in fit yeah 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 so i i did appreciate that like john mclean is you know he's a suspended cop but he's still respected in the force and by his superiors and that they seem to have all their shit together and they're not particularly mm-hmm. they're more they're not more interested in, in interdepartmental pissing contests than they are with like saving saving lives, maintaining order. Yeah. Uh, fabulously optimistic look at the police agency, but I think that's the the movie's uh, the the viewpoint. I want to talk a little bit more about Sam Jackson's Zeus character. Uh, I saw in an interview that Sam Jackson said now this was back just, I think when the movie was released, but he said that this role is the closest to his actual personality. The, of anything that he's huh. ever done on film before. Now it could just be like Sam, Jackson, being Sam Jackson or, or the way he speaks to people or that's, uh, he didn't elaborate, but I, 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 yeah. I think you got to say it in to, you know, probably take it in totality. And that's sure. the thing that, um, because that's the thing. There's this scene where, you know, Samuel L. Jackson has just given this, like, you know, pro-black speech to his nephews about how, you know, you got to you gotta watch out for yourself and you got to take care of yourself and no one's ever going to help you, especially not white folk. 
And then he sees this well, apparently crazy black uh, white guy out here with the I hate N words placard on. Um, and there's a scene where it's like, remind me a lot of that scene in like uh, um, The Expanse where Holden, uh, like Monica calls him about a lead with the proto molecule. And he's, uh, you know, has a vow to like stay out of this business because, you know, no- nothing ever good for him. And he like focuses and then he goes like, God damn it, because he knows he's going to get sucked into it because he can't. He can't just yeah, yeah. stand by and let something terrible happen. Mm-hmm. That's what Samuel L. Jackson's on his face when he's he's like contemplating. He's like, this is my neighborhood. This is in front of my shop. If I intervene for this crazy white guy, I might. And he even later in the movie says, like, these guys are probably instead of killing you, they're burning down my shop. Yeah, uh, he is putting himself out to protect in his neighborhood, the out group. And I think that, you know, if you want to talk about Charlie's heroics, I think Mm -hmm. his heroics, especially in the face of John McClane's obtuseness about racial justice in the, in in America, that's, that's the thing that feels very dated in this film that like John's finally like, Hey, come on. What Zeus, why are you making all this racial? Why are you making all this racial man? Why you always got to make things about race Zeus? Like, yeah, it feels, Yeah, 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 yeah. And at the end, if there's a little bit of, um, you know, Sam learning to stop worrying and loving the white guy and being more focused on his marriage and get there's a little little that kind of seep. But yeah, Zeus has portrayed in this film as a pretty, pretty righteous, heroic dude. And yeah, absolutely. But, it, but to it, a point, right? He's He's also not like the dude who wants to risk his own life when the situation doesn't call for it. And he gets tricked into it at some point. Yeah. Um, yes, he is. Nobody's fool. He's nobody's sucker. Yeah. Um, but he also is like, what, what gets him sucked into it is his own mouth. Like that. Well, laid plans up your well laid asses when Jeremy irons like, okay, fucker. Now you're, you're it as well. Oh, that's another potential plot hole. When I was watching this film, I'm like, Later in, you need almost two guys assigned to all these riddles and tasks. Does this imply that Jeremy Irons was kind of improvising uh, the entire time because hmm. he didn't know that Sam Jackson was going to show up and start taking a, 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 an interest in these adventures from the beginning, right? Right, right. And I don't think he had time to redesign his riddles on the fly when he realized, right. oh, there are actually two dudes here. I, I'm just, struggling to come up with the riddle that needed two people, though. Which, what would you say it is? Uh, I thought that they were doing a lot of like splitting up and like covering different ground, and you know, like, will you go to the phone while I go to the bomb, and and oh, you they drive are, here? But it's all in an effort to thwart their plan, right? Like Jeremy Irons doesn't want them splitting up. Hmm. Um, okay, he expects like John McClane to just follow his plan because he has no option. The other thing is, John McClane turns out is dumb as hell. But it turns out that these logic puzzles and he would be oh, yeah. like, yeah, like, I feel like the jig would be up very uh-huh. quickly that all these bombs are kind of although the subway one's not the subway when they needed to go off because if it didn't, uh, the rest of their plan fizzles. That was the one that was the linchpin. Is that the one that sets off the alarms at the bank? It sets off the alarms of the bank. It, it, it provides the damage where they can go in and drive the, you know, it blows a hole in the okay. thing. So they have direct access to the tunnels and, and yeah, also sets off the alarms. So they're ignoring their seismic sensors and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. The, the other ones you could probably excise, but you, you know, you want a few of them, right? You don't just want two things that he has to do and then boom, we're off to the races with the, the twists. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a hard time saying what I would cut out of this movie, but probably one of those. I, 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 I think the, the tunnels, reels, though. I think the, the reels were good, you know? Yeah, um, no, all of them. They were too I simple. I, I, I remember it during the watch party that we did of this movie, mm-hmm. we, you know, we were trying to entertain and we were trying to watch the movie at the same time. And mm-hmm. both of us, when the scene comes up with the three-gallon jug and the five-gallon jug, we're mm-hmm. desperately trying to figure that out. And we yeah. absolutely could not. We did not come to a no. conclusion. So when, when it all came up kids. this time, I fucking sat down and I figured it out because I was not going to have a repeat of the watch party. And the thing is, is the film itself doesn't. The film it sure comes in it, yeah. halfway through the solution. So they've already got the two gallons in one of the things. And now, yeah. There's, and there's two different like. ways to do it. Yeah, it lets you play at home if you want, uh-huh. I guess. Totally. I thought it's an odd choice. It's it's kind of like how would you feel about like a national treasure, which is a movie about the puzzles, uh-huh. if they left out the middle part of a solution. I don't know. Pretty shitty. I felt like I felt like it was a little shitty to not but but also it's it's this yeah, I think the average person, if you have a minute or two to think about it, can can uh come up with a solution. Now, gun uh-huh. to your head. Uh, right. All the children in New York City taken hostage. That's that's a different the, matter. The but. bomb juice mixing. Yeah, I'm not sure under that pressure that I could, but it was fun to figure it out. I like riddles. Yeah, man, there is some insane practical stunt work. We talked about the the yes. road stuff that they do, the park stuff that they do. I thought that like it felt to me a lot of that stuff they're doing with the subway, maybe it's sped mm-hmm. up footage, but like, I think they actually have stuntmen like jumping through hatches on the to the trains. There's actually a train going right past them. Um, that stuff seemed extremely dangerous and extremely exciting when you're watching it. Yeah, no, I, I really love that scene. I love even how artificial it feels and looks when they have the train come off the tracks in the station. Mm-hmm. Uh, when John McClane throws the bomb out the back. Uh, it feels like you're going to Universal Studios and getting yeah. on the King Kong ride or something, right? Where there's big mechanical thing happening. Uh-huh. It, it, I can, I can feel in those scenes the effort it took to get that stunt done. Yeah, uh, just because of how artificial it looks. Because if it was all CG, it'd be like, well, some dude sat at a computer for 15 hours sure. and made this all happen. But I don't know. I love those practical effects. And I guess uh, it was terrifying on set because that, tra- like you said, it's it's fake in that universal where you can tell there's like tracks and rails and it hits this point and it does. Uh-huh. But that thing was moving legit 45 miles an hour when no. it derails. Yeah. Seriously? And like, I, I guess like uh, if you look at some of the stuntmen, they look like they're terrified running from it. And they said there's like, you didn't need much acting because, yeah, if you didn't hit your mark and yeah. get the fuck out of the way, it, c- it was quite capable of killing people. Jeez. Um, but they just the scale of that set, like you had to build a whole goddamn subway tunnel, subway yeah. station, and then rig that thing to explode and pop off and do a fugitive. And Another the other thing I thought was were really brilliant is like they usually they, they do a good job of because that's the other thing is like everything in Die Hard is kind of tongue in cheek mm. and funny. So like we got this really stressful situation of Do- John McClane trying to find his bomb on the train. You've also got Zeus trying to get in a taxi cab and picking up this obtuse 
you know, Wall Street guy who wants to go and he's given the reverse racism shit to say and that like look on like, oh, you want a ride? Mm-hmm. And we don't see the 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 ride that he took over there. All we see is this guy's terrified face in the back seat when yeah. Samuel come you know, he comes screaming up and just bails on the taxi and they 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 show the payoff of that. This guy's just sitting in the back seat with his I thought that stuff is good. It's like it's it's got the tension but it's also got the humor that's constantly kind of, you know, preventing this from becoming like a fugitive where it's a serious action thriller. Right. It it's, keeps it steady in that mid 80s, mid 90s zone. Yeah. I mean, to me, that is Die Hard, right? It's it's the foul mouthed action set pieces because um, I there aren't a lot of movies like this, strangely enough. Right. Like mm-hmm. You can go to Lethal Weapon. You can go to some of the Shane Black stuff and see like a similar vibe uh but i really think like Die Hard has a unique combination of action thriller and, and just the vulgarity that is inserted in there like separates it from the pack i agree um the other thing I, I so another there's there's constantly in this movie John McClane's like driving through Central Park and he's calling an that's another brilliant thing where he calls an ambulance to kind of plow the road for him. Mm-hmm. Why don't the cops ever follow him? Like they get to the like when they see him go through Central Park, it's like ah like they they they're like almost like well we can't follow him. Like why don't they? Yeah, I don't know that it would be any more dangerous to have seven cop cars come through. The first one is the dangerous one, right? And maybe even plowing. less dangerous if you turn on your sirens and you start because yeah, yeah. the the cab doesn't have any of that. It's just a it's just a it's just a sedan barreling through without any kind <laughs> of herald. If you get the cops like, you know, kind of, you know, getting people to look in that direction, maybe it's safer. But they're like, oh, damn, we can't possibly drive through Central Park. I There's some line that Jeremy Irons says about, like, d- you have to use civilian transportation on one of these challenges i think it's a central park challenge um mclean does but McLean the rest does. of does yeah yeah yeah, yeah so maybe that would be the, seen as cheating yeah maybe but then how is the ambulance not cheating because to me it's, like using your powers as a cop your credentials as a cop is what mm. is the problem although he uses it to commandeer the taxi i i don't know i don't know where the line is yeah you're right you're right um, and th- I guess there's also like I don't think Hans is monitoring any of his communications, so well, he is. is I'm sorry, whatever <laughs> the gr- the new the elder Gruber. Yeah, I don't know his name either. Um, Peter Peter Gruber Simon, no Simon Gruber, Simon right? Because yeah, he's actually course, Simon. Simon, Simon says. says. Um, which I thought that was a cool thing too. That Simon says, and it pays off with them thinking there's a bomb that's going to go off and kill him, and he's like, I didn't say Simon says. Uh huh. Um, I so I also liked how smooth Gruber's uh, Simon's operation was here, but it also stretched my belief because it seemed like that he had maybe I maybe I missed something, but it seemed like he had the NYPD infiltrated. He had the Fred, Federal Reserve infiltrated. He had the city public works department infiltrated. He had like handpicked guys that were on the scene that would already like, how the hell did he, it's one of those things where it's so complicated a plot. You think, how the hell do you pull this off with like 20 people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Having plants and locations is tough. Um, it, It says that their vetting is not very good 
first off. And secondly, it says that the plan has been in place for a long time because you can't just like get people hired and in these positions in like a week. It would yeah. probably take years to plan this. Which yeah. It's a big heist, so it probably did take years. Yeah, I mean, Ocean's Eleven, they only had to get Bernie Mac at a, the, the the deal cards. That was uh-huh. the, the, the one thing that they had to do from the inside. This has got like 17 different moving parts with 23 different plants. It's... Uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, some of the other stunts I like and really appreciate is that 360 spin that he does in the car uh, when he's being chased later on in the movie. And while he's shooting out the window at the same time, um, mm-hmm. that was super awesome. Uh, and, it, and it felt very real. Like maybe this could actually happen. I mean, the shooting as you're spinning is it basically, I don't even know if Keanu Reeves could do that, but like, <laughs> It's it's a very cool stunt, and it was clearly all done, you know, practically. Oh, the, the I one also that looks even ridiculous though, though is oh, oh, the, go the, ahead. the Mercedes going the Mercedes off jump the ledge. Yeah, that's clearly on wires, but it's clearly on wires. You can't see them, but the tra- trajectory of the car flying yeah. off looks extremely unnatural. Totally. Um. Maybe you could cut that. And even though I hate the tunnel sequence, um, I think that's the one that feels like it's really draggy. Because there's also this, like, <laughs> there's a two-minute exposition scene where they arrive to the construction of these tunnels. And, like, uh, John, John McClane has this screaming exposition match with this tunnel guy where it's like, oh, yeah, the tunnels go all the way up to Taz at 60 miles up to Yonkers. And it goes up the, and just goes on and on and on talking about this tunnel project which did you know 20 years later 25 years later they are still building this fucking tunnel 60 miles that's it really they started this project this is supposed to be uh so so new york city built their first tunnel to get water into the city because there's too many people drinking it to to get it out of the hudson river i guess Mm -hmm. uh in in 1915 they built a secondary tunnel in 1930 they commissioned this tunnel in 1970 broke the ground for it it's still under construction and it's not scheduled to be completed until 2026 wow this is so you could history of this i don't i mean i'm sure it's a complex it's a it's a complex project to dig a like 70 mile tunnel that's 26 feet and wide and oh, you're yeah. it's going under the ocean it's going under manhattan it's going under central park it's doing like all these really complicated things i'm but still 50 fucking year didn't they build mm-hmm. a tunnel underneath the english goddamn channel in like two decades did they can we get can we get the french over here to dig (laughs) lay tunnel because we need we need help i don't know uh but yeah yeah, you could still you could do die hard six in uh in in the tunnels (laughs) and in these 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 under construction tunnels because they still ain't carrying water yeah yeah i would cut that entire scene i don't know and 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 like i'm trying to think of like well it's important because it tells you like exactly how they're going to escape the tunnels and it's it's a lot of exposition that is like secondarily important right because he could just follow them into the tunnels and we don't really know how he's going to get out or anything but it sets up like uh, John McClane's escape later through these you know once every two miles they have an air shaft or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and it also sets up like where they might be getting out of this tunnel 20 miles in Mm. 
I'm saying you just don't do the tunnel. You do some kind of like Italian oh, job gotcha. situation where you've got fake dump trucks that are like leading the cops to somewhere else. And secretly they just led because I feel like in actuality, they did get in, eventually uh, drive these trucks onto a flatbed and yeah. uh, then drove them onto a boat. And just like the tunnel just seemed like a little bit gilding the lily. And I don't know. I'm just looking for like 20 minutes to cut. I thought and like that's that's where I started thinking this is too much because everything just kept on getting more and more complicated. Like, OK, he's figured out the 14 and he's followed them into the tunnel. And then, oh, God damn, the, the bridge breaks, you know. This mm-hmm. this the steel plate falls and John McClane and I'm like, well, God damn, do we have to complicate every freaking thing that's going on in this movie? And I was getting kind of bored and restless. And then I thought that immediately after the tunnel scene, the movie picked up again. And I think the ending is a bit of a mess, but I think I understand why. Um, but yeah, the tunnel. The, I just I just hate the tunnel part. Everything in the tunnel. That, that, that twenty minutes I think is is easily excisable. I think it's entertaining. I really like Jerry, the truck driver who should be on Jeopardy. Um, <laughs> For his tunnel history, his encyclopedic tunnel history. Yeah, yeah. He's like a tour guide here. It's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Uh, I really love John McClane surfing the truck and then being shot out 600 feet of pipe. <laughs> uh, just And just happening to land exactly where Sam Jackson is driving by at that exact moment and where the bad guys can see them and shoot at them do i see i guess i that's the stuff where i feel like die hard is becoming a little like arnold that's something that arnold could do it's like oh, some yeah. kind of james cameron true lies thing i just i don't know like i did do do i think that john mcclain can survive that shit i mean can he survive the, the bigger ask to me is that he survives the climb down the the cable uh, on the winch on the truck Oh, God. Uh, they and they're taking their that, sweet ass time doing it, too, by the I way. I know. They're looking back. They're having a conversation while they're climbing down this thing. Yeah. They're trying to solve racism it. in America. Just, yeah. <laughs> like, like maybe sli- when they get like, oh, when you get some gloves, I thought they're going to like do some kind of sliding thing, but they're like hand over handing it. Yeah. I, there's and, no and, way. And oh, my I God. They fall that. like 80 feet on the steel. That, yeah. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm there's saying. No All this. Survive that. That shit is just to like John McClane is always supposed to barely survive things. And I thought that they've done a pretty good job. Like they start th- this all started in the last Die Hard where he pulls the ejection seat <laughs> the grenades yeah. on the grenades on the grenade scene. This started uh-huh. like but like, you know, that's a system designed to convey a human being to the ground safely in that totally. type of situation. Right. So it's like, oh. OK, but this is just it's Wiley Coyote shit. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it was a step too far. I think they, they, they cut the tunnel and they cut the, uh, honestly, Samuel's ja- Samuel's idea of jumping onto that little tower uh-huh. that, yeah, it's a tough jump, but if you make it, you're fine. Sure. God, I can't imagine trying it. I mean, it's, it's not even like it's a solid platform you can land on. It's like a crane boom. and, yeah. and, and, and lattice work of, of metal. It's yeah, it, that would be terrifying. Yeah, but it would have been suspenseful and like it's just be like, you know, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. They like, you know, holding hands and doing a Thelma and Louise kind of thing. I think the cable just was dumb. Let me ask you this about Die Hard 2 in that grenade scene where he so so to set it up, like he's in the cockpit of this plane and the bad guys are outside and they're trying to shoot him and they can't shoot him. So they all like take 25 grenades and throw them into the cockpit with John McClane inside. And he gets in the ejector seat. He ejects out of a 
commercial airplane. I'm not even sure that you can do this. Uh, does the canopy? It was pop a military off? transport. It was a military oh, was transport. Okay. That was that's that's how they yeah. Because okay. I always so thought I that thought too. What, what fucking yeah. Boeing or McDonnell Douglas <laughs> airliner has ejection seats for the pilot, and why are they never used? Like, uh-huh. uh huh. Yeah. Anyway, so he ejects out the top of this, and I think what happens. I'm not sure ejector seats are designed to be fired on the ground and let you fall safely. Uh, yeah. I think you need more space than that. Like when you're base jumping, right? It's always dangerous because you don't have much space between you and the ground. Yeah. Um, for your parachute to take effect. I think what happens in that scene is he is blown to safety, right? Like the grenades give him the boost he needs to get the height where the parachute will be effective. Or, or am I reading too much into that? I know that there are some rocket assisted ejection seats that are designed to get you clearance from something or other. And if this transport has those type of things and if 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 um, and I think some of them are designed to where, yes, they would get you to a safe height above the ground for your parachute to deploy and all that kind of stuff. If I didn't, we probably talked about this like we've got coverage of the other diehard films. I think they're locked Uh behind the paywall. But if you're a. if you're a club member, feel free to look up uh, the, the, you know, Christmas stuff or, or you know, just, yeah, search Bald Move Die Hard uh, yeah. and you can listen to our takes. I imagine we probably have to discuss that. Uh, probably. And I bring it up I, here to talk about the other incredible blown to safety moment in this movie. This, yes. Yeah. Bring it up. It, it's maybe the most egregious example of blown to safety I've ever seen. Uh a because the characters involved are kind of stupid um they Mm -hmm. run to the back of the boat so so the blown to safety moment is when they're on the boat they've picked the lock they've escaped there's this huge bomb that's going to go off to destroy and sink all the gold right Mm -hmm. though we know the gold isn't actually on the boat um and they get loose and they're running for their lives and they run off the back of the boat for some reason instead of just jumping directly into the water uh, if you know anything about the insulating properties of water from like shockwaves and, and kinetic energy, you want to be in that water ASAP. I would yeah. go right off the side of that boat. I don't I don't know why they have to run to the back. But Agreed. when the bomb does go off, they're still mid jump uh, and they show it from a wide angle. The, the explosion, the shockwave causes like I wouldn't be surprised if it caused like a tsunami level event on the coast of Manhattan because it's enormous. It shattered windows in Brooklyn and Harlem for sure. It was the Death Star explosion, the shockwave. It really was. Not the original George Lucas 19. No, this is the the special edition pyrotechnic shockwave. Yeah, no, these guys are the their internal organs are vaporized by yeah. the, pre- the 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 overblast pressure wave that hits them. I, I mean, the, yeah. the bomb was designed to destroy gold bars uh, to to a point <laughs> where they couldn't be easily retrievable. Right, like it wants to pulverize these solid yeah. hunks of metal. Yeah, and these dudes are like fifteen feet away from the explosion. Yeah, you know the other thing about the unfortunate fact about. Well, first of all, before we get to the somber stuff, uh, also when they hit the water, they they play this sound. It makes it sound like Godzilla is down there with them. Like they, they make this like tortured metal scream and kind of like fireball type of sound. But it sounds like the Godzilla, you know, coming for for Willis and Jackson. Did you know that this film was released exactly one month after the Oklahoma City bombings in 95? Wow. And they still released it, huh? 
Yeah, because like there, you know, and and I don't think they would nowadays because there was a lot Absolutely of similarities not. in the plot, like the fact that like it's not it's not a. Uh, you know, buy liquid thing, but they had that fuel info kind of bomb mm-hmm. that they get in. And, and I guess there was uh, like a big shockwave from that. It destroyed that Murrow building. Like it, it, yeah. it, it scooped a big old thing out of it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 when I found that out, I was actually, I guess not impressed, but surprised because nowadays there's no mm-hmm. question. They would push that thing back at least a month. I don't think it does anything, but it allows them to say, Hey, we're being sensitive instead. Like I think Fox took out like these full page ads in New York times and vanity fair defending the decision to, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like get over it. Babe. I don't know exactly. I, I, I just saw like press about, I didn't see the actual release, but like, gosh, that seemed like a bad look. Um, yeah, that's wild. This, this is one of the gnarliest blown to the safety situations I've, <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, uh, Indiana Jones, Crystal Skulls got to be it's the worst tier. example. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's an S tier really, blown to safety. I, I would like to do a tier ranking of a tier list of blown to safety moments. All the blown to safety moments. Yeah. yeah that'd be fun. Yeah. I, it's, it's cause I can't think of offhand all of them. No. Yeah. We'd have, I wonder if there's a canonical list of blown to safety moments. Uh, go to TV tropes or something. I thought the uh, the lock picking scene was pretty gnarly. Like Bruce Willis pull, pull, uh, taking that shard of steel cable out of his meat mm-hmm. and then drop it into Samuel L. Jackson's hands and um, all that stuff was pretty cool. Um, I got a question for you. Do you know why they are using Johnny Comes Marching Home as I, I, don't, I don't because I associate it with like children's songs. I know it's like a it's it's got to be some kind of old military anthem, but it's I, I think so. Like, I guess in the other diehards, they also had a piece of classical music that they were using as a is that, it's called let them off. Is that what you said? Light the, motif like a is what I've heard light of, motif. But. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't see any like reasoning for why this is, but this is John McClane returning to New York city. Johnny come marching home again. Hmm. Maybe. Okay. All right. That's yeah, the only I thing like I it. think of is, is jo- Johnny's Johnny's coming. Jo- Johnny's uh, coming home again. Sure. Uh, the other thing I could help but notice that what is not in the first um, die hard is Bruce Willis debuts this intense concentration phase that he deploys anytime like if uh, John McClane is feeling for a police junction box that he thinks is a bomb if John McClane is trying to drop a needle into Samuel Jackson's hand behind he deploys this like I, I, I can't describe it it's like he stretches all of his facial muscles to max extent so his, his mouth is wide open and oh his eyes are super huge he just looks like it, it, it looks like a, in the Mike Tyson's punch out when you land a critical hit and they're going like, I got like that only frozen in place at the maximum. I don't know what it is and why, but like post this movie, you see it a lot. You see it in like the fifth element. I feel like this is maybe his, uh, what, what was that? There's a mad dog and glory that ruined Al Pacino or is the scent of a woman. It might where, have like, been scent of a woman. That was the hoo 
stuff. Yeah, yeah, he did a move where it's like, well, it's like that. That's just going to be who Al Pacino is for the rest yeah. of that. That's going to just completely. He's like, oh, yeah, oh. Um, I feel like this movie is the thing that set Bruce Willis into this type of like over intense acting for some of these sequences. I don't I think know. You're right, and and it it works. I, I don't think it's like bad, right? It's no, it, but it does become his hallmark. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I see him in certain scenes in this, and I'm like, oh, that's Corbin Dallas from Fifth Element, exactly. And that was that was like not the same year, was it? 95? No, that's ninety seven. I think ninety seven is okay. uh, Fifth later. Element, maybe ninety nine. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, ninety seven. Yeah, it kind of solidifying the, the what I think of as Bruce Willis because like. I'm more familiar with Bruce Willis from the sequels to Die Hard and Fifth Element, um, stuff like that, because that's what I was watching as a teen. Sure. And then I went back and I watched the Die Hards. I mean, Die Hard came out when I was a kid, uh, a very young kid, so I wouldn't have seen it. Another sneaky problem of this film is it's the hour 40 minute mark until John McClane goes full John McClane mode, stripped down to his wife beater, mm-hmm. bloodied cut. Uh, he's still got his shoes on, which which is distressing. Um, I, I felt like that the, we, we've got this correlation where like the be, the diehard diehard gets better inversely proportionate to how well Bruce Willis looks. Yeah. How well he's dressed and how how his flesh is is faring in the film. And I feel like, yeah, it took way too long to get to the good the good diehard moment in this film. And I feel like he doesn't get as beat up in this movie as he does in some of the others. Right. It's true. Or at least he doesn't spend. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't spend as much time beat up in this film. Um, I. uh, What is the point? What's the point in the like elaborate cuck cuckolding plot that's going on between Jeremy Irons, his severe East skirt and German girlfriend and the one ideologically pure, uh, uh, soldier guy that they end up killing that the Bruce was beats to death with a chain. I don't know that there is a point. I mean, he just, he betrays the guy, right? Yeah. It's like a double betrayal. Were- I read that McTiernan wrote that in there just because he's like, well, this movie's bloody enough to get an R rating. We might as well throw in a sex scene. Like that's the worst reason to do anything that like, well, the ratings there. So we might as well have an awkward sex scene between we we might have Jeremy Irons and this uh, German pop singer hate fuck in their Canadian warehouse. Yeah. We, we can have Sonia from red alert Two. Uh, <laughs> hey, fuck this fake oil man. I, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's weird too because it, a it doesn't last very long, right? It's not like a an important scene in their relationship nah. or anything, and it's it's not even done artfully. I don't know. I don't know. I've seen like if it was something like Top Gun, okay, maybe. Like at least that sex scene is done artfully, but this is just like wham bam onto the gold again. No, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, do you do you want to hear the shocking story of the development of this film that I think sheds some light into some of its uh, uh, structural problems? Yes, this tale involves Steven Seagal, Brandon oh Lee, Brandon Lee's death, and about two dozen Hollywood writers. 
So in the late in, in eighty in in eighty nine ninety they were developing another sequel to Die Hard, and like most of the film, the premises of the Die Hard films that they're they they repurpose this from a standalone project. We talked about that in Die Hard Die Hard Two, mm-hmm. um, and for whatever reason, Twentieth Century Fox got in the idea that the third Die Hard should take place on a boat, and they're developing this project where McLean and his wife are on vacation, they're taking a Caribbean cruise, and terrorists take over their boat and threaten to blow it up. They hired this guy, uh, W. Peter Illiff, who had just uh, been uh, fr- uh, hot off of Point Break in 91, which turned out to be a huge hit. Nice. Uh, he started reworking the script titled Troubleshooter. Um, but since it wasn't written to be a diehard film, they kept on having to rewrite it. They had to add more action scenes. Um, and he was in a second rewrite of this when Fox alerted him to this project called Dreadnought that Warner brothers developed that Steven Seagal was attached to. Um, that movie would later be called under siege. Oh, and you'll recall that we had a little bit of this discussion under siege plot. So the, they rewrote this thing three different times to make sure that die hard wouldn't be confused to this dreadnought project. Um, and then Fox decided like, well, ultimately you got two action guys trying to save a boat that's being taken over by terrorists. There's just no way we can release this in the same year. So scrap all this and, and, and rewrite it fresh. Hmm. Um, and the other thing is like, they also bought another script called super tanker as a part of this process to shelve it, just to make sure there's not three guys on a boat that's being taken over by terrorists. Wow. I'm thinking of like all the money that they spent in the pre-production on this thing. Um, so between 93 and 94, at least three more versions of Die Hard 3 have been written, all of them very different from the others. The first is written by John uh, Milius, who wrote Apocalypse Now and wrote and directed Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn, which took place in a jungle. Um, there's one written by Doug Richardson. It took place in L.A., the L.A. subways that were taken over by terrorists who were actually trying to rob the L.A. Federal Reserve. And a second by John Fasano, which took place across the entire city of New York, where McLean chases kidnappers who took his teenage daughter as a hostage, uh, mistaking her for some daughter of a rich industrialist. Mm, um, they they get that and they both they, they, they decide that both these scripts are hackneyed, like rehashes of previous Die Hard stuff. So they cancel all that stuff. The Die Hard in the Jungle, though, uh, fascinated uh, Bruce Willis to the extent that he kept on having it de- developed and developed, and it eventually became a project that you might remember, uh, Tears of the Sun. Oh, yeah, totally. So that ended up getting, uh, and, and that was, was going to be loosely the plot of Die Hard 4 until Fox rejected that, and then Bruce kind of like spun it off into his own little thing. Um. Brandon Lee died on the set of The Crow, so that took Fo- that made Fox take another spec script called Simon Says by Jonathan Hensley, which was supposed to be Lee's next film, and suddenly it doesn't have a star, so they decided to change that, which eventually became Die Hard with a Vengeance. The original script is about a mad bomber who wants revenge against a police detective, and the only help he has is a shop owner who becomes involved by accident. The fr- and supposedly the first hour of this film is a word-for-word rendition Mm -hmm. of that particular script which is why i think it holds together so well Mm -hmm. um and here's like the other thing is warner brothers as they go back warner brothers tried to buy that to make it into lethal weapon 4 but 20th century fox outbought bid them uh this script went through 
at least a dozen rewrites by at least five different writers focusing on problems in the second half and the ending. Uh, At one point, Zeus became a female and they uh, attached Angela Bassett to play it. Um, Hmm. And then after they finally, they filmed this film with its original ending, which um, I guess you can see in the DVD and Blu-rays where uh, McLean doesn't track him down to the north of the border location. And instead it takes place months or even years after the film where McLean has tracked this guy all over Europe. And he sets up this Russian roulette situation where he's got a Chinese rocket launcher where he's taking the sights and the trigger off of it. So you can't tell which end is the front, which end is the back. And he spins it between uh, as he's tormenting Gruber and he's playing his game called McLean says, and he uh-huh. forces Jeremy Irons to blow himself up with this rocket launcher. <laughs> I love that ending. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm not sure. exactly. They say the reason they reject it is because number one is anticlimactic. You got his balls of the wall action film and it comes to this short talky scene at the end with the rocket launcher. And also they sure. thought it made McLean too vindictive. You know, that he's killing people not in self-defense, but just for vengeance. But yeah, yeah. I think the end of this film is a mess. Like, yeah, he gets this aspirin bottle that's stamped with a Canadian truck stop Mm -hmm. that I guess Gruber is using as the base of his gold stealing terrorist operation. Apparently. And they launch a joint Canadian American assault on this facility. It turns into a helicopter chase. And Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, the end of this film, I think I, I actually like the original rocket launcher ending to better. It sounds like that was cooler. I think it would be cooler. um, But I, I understand the objections too, right? It doesn't necessarily, uh, climax the way you want it to but I would have I would have laughed out loud at that scene yeah I'm trying to also think like how the hell do you modify a rocket launcher where you literally can't tell which end is the I, like I just, just removing it. the sights and I don't know after watching Commando and knowing like how strange mm. rocket launchers are set up in the first place where like the end you think is probably for is actually backwards right it, I I just love the idea that you could modify it to even professionals even like a pro- even yeah a german east german soldier tell. had no idea yeah yes yes i love it that there's something very meta about that uh what else you got to talk about i'm about out of uh uh die hard with a vengeance material I, mean, I, I have to ask you before well first of all let's go back over to jeremy irons real quick he plays an unconventional villain in this i see mm-hmm. a lot of villains eating apples um, Jeremy Irons chose the rarely chosen hard-boiled egg. I don't know if that made him, in, in Jeremy Irons' mind, if that makes him look intimidating. Well, it makes his farts intimidating. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be in the same room as this guy after he's eaten nothing but hard-boiled eggs all day, for sure. That's right? some sulfurous shit coming out of your ass cheeks. Let alone at sea, and it's all you know jostling around, and oh yeah, it's getting stirred and mixed, and yeah, nothing good. S- some seasickness laid on top of it. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, you're at risk so, of being blown to safety. There's a binary liquid forming in his <laughs> colon that, if it mixes, yeah, is going to wipe out and half the eastern seaboard. Egg yolk. Uh, here's the perennial question that I have to once again ask. Is Die Hard with a Vengeance a Christmas movie? I had this in my notes, too. Let me put this, the information, the evidence on the table 
so we can all look at it. Um, there's a kid on the bike mm-hmm. who um, tips John McClane off to the fact that uh, something's happening with the the cops being drawn away or something. Um, and he says when he encounters John McClane, it's Christmas, you could steal City Hall. Okay, mm-hmm. that's exhibit number one. Exhibit two... Yep. John McClane in the tunnel scenes that you were talking about when he's uh, trying to get near a truck to kill him. He's talking some mad smack about Santa Claus being uh, on the loose and the cops trying to find him. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I hear there's a guy with eight reindeer and a fat red suit. Pow, 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 pow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of recognizable. Surprised, surprised you didn't see him or whatever. came through here. Mm-hmm. Does that a Christmas movie make? Because it's the only two things I can find in this movie. It's a damn shame. And in the, in the Aaron director's cut, they're de- you know, where he excises the tunnel scene, it definitely would not be. I I feel like we've talked about this before. To be considered a Christmas movie, you have the bare minimum. There has to be a Christmas song, mm-hmm. and there has to be Christmas decorations. Like it doesn't have to yeah. be about the literal, you know, like some people are purists. Like it has to be, it's got to be like goddamn elf. It's got to be about Christmas and about family celebrating and gifts giving. I, I think it has to be, you have to have visible uh, Christmas decorations and at least one Christmas song. And by that count, this movie fails. But I thought it was a, is a bogus idea to to do shoe the format. Just keep them all. Just John McClane has the worst Christmases of all time. Yeah, it, it this movie. Been great. This movie is vastly improved by snow, by Christmas mm-hmm. decorations, and by a few Christmas songs playing in the background. I think I agree. A Christmas riddle or two, right? Instead of what a Christmas uh, trilogy you'd have with with seven cats and sacks. It could have been seven reindeer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just three wise men. Plus the sure. bit, yeah, I I think it would have been a better movie, and it would have been an an, an epic Christmas trilogy that you could watch every every year. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and one of the criteria is like, in my mind, is does the plot have anything to do with Christmas? Right? It's not necessarily like it has to be, um, on Christmas, but it has to be something that like this couldn't really happen unless Christmas were involved. And that doesn't live up to that bar either. Yeah, that's you're a little bit uh, harder core on that than I am, because I, I just require the, the presence of music and decorations. Because, uh, mm-hmm. as like I said, the uh, first blood Christmas movie, uh, movie. sure. Uh, Catch me if you can. Unambiguously a Christmas movie. This a couple of references to reindeer and a fat man in a red suit and stealing things like being on Christmas. I don't think it gets there. And then yeah. I'm pretty lax. But uh Anything else? No, I think that's about it. That wraps up our coverage of uh, the often underlooked or overlooked Second C Charisma, epitomized here by Bruce Willis playing John McClane. Hope you've enjoyed our coverage of the badass uh, of, of our, our, our excuse me of our badass coverage thus far. Uh, of course, we're not done. We have one more badass movie to un- unveil next week. And also this Wednesday, we'll be hosting another badass stream session where we're going to be uh, considering new candidates, uh, new inductees into the badass Hall of Fame and debating their worthiness uh, live on Twitch and YouTube um, at Slash Bald Move, respectively. 
at 1 p.m. Eastern starting this Wednesday. So if you want to join us there to to uh, give us your suggestions for badasses, that's the place to do it. Hope to see you there. Hope to see you back next week for the conclusion of our summer badass series 2022. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.